When you manage a life essential service, you can't simply shut things off as you sort out how to deploy emerging technologies. You have to be agile in your approach while literally keeping things flowing. In the world of water management, that is literally the case, as operations managers are learning how to deploy tools such as artificial intelligence, digital twins, and big data in exciting new ways to enhance how they provide water to their constituents without interrupting service or safety. Hello, I'm your host, Paul Teese, and on this episode of If When, our discussion focused on the topic of digital water. Joining me are John Rickerman, Managing Director, Technical Services Group for Jacobs, and Greg Kennedy, Jacobs Vice President, Water Platform. We discuss the role that data science can play in water management, including how it can positively impact operational costs and sustainability endeavors. Well, John and Greg, thank you both so much for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to talking with you about the concept of digital water. You know, water, of course, life essential resource, but how we're deploying emerging technology to take care of our water. Uh, It is a finite resource. It's kind of hard to believe, but it is. Uh, And so we really need to take extra care with it. And so I want to thank you both. And I'm looking forward to diving into this with you. Great. Thanks, Paul. So, John, let me start off with you and let me just ask you to describe, you know, what digital water is. Yeah, not only is water one of those precious resources, but so are the people that produce clean water for us. So digital water to me is a set of tools that help that limited resource, our people, do their jobs better. So we hear a lot about the do more with less thing, and we're really seeing that in water and wastewater treatment from an operational standpoint at our plant sites for ourselves and our clients. And we're asking our operator, our operations and maintenance staff to do a tremendous amount of high value work, critical to public health, just an incredible amount of responsibility. But they really, up until now, haven't had uh, all the tools to be effective in their jobs. For example, we have predictive tools now with data science Uh, with digital twin modeling that allows us and our operations staff to know what's coming before it happens. Traditionally, for the past 100 years, it's been a reactive field. Something happens at the plant because you don't control flows. Typically, you react to what the community demand is, and you have to respond to that. So it's always been reactive. Now we've got tools, uh, which I call digital water, that allow you to get proactive, and that changes the game. Now, you know, you mentioned digital twins and one of my kind of initial forays into understanding the concept of digital water was the use of digital twins for like plants and stuff. So that kind of flips the script from the reactive model that you're saying to more predictive, you know, so, you know, I think like potential failures at plants and things like that. Can you walk us through just a little bit, you know, what role digital twins play in the concept of digital water? Sure. So digital twin means different things to different folks. So some folks consider a digital, and it's all true, some folks consider a digital twin an AutoCAD or 3D rendered model of a building space, for example. Mm -hmm. In a sense, that's a digital twin, right? It's a digital representation of reality. Mm -hmm. In our case, we're using a digital twin model to represent a treatment process. So if you have a wastewater plant, 
you can build a digital twin that simulates what is happening biologically throughout the treatment process, chemically, biologically, physically, through mm -hmm. a treatment process. With that kind of a, of a calibrated, accurate model, you can do an awful lot of what if analysis, new construction, troubleshooting, all kinds of things, operations training. So it's a really powerful tool. We're really taking that to the next step by using the data science plugged into these digital twins to say, here's what's coming, here's mm -hmm. what's gonna happen, and here's what you do about it and communicate that to our field staff. I think that that last piece of taking all that knowledge and expertise we already have, mm -hmm. combining that with the predictive analytics we now have capable, we're, we're now able to utilize and getting that in the hands of our field staff so mm -hmm. they can just take action. They don't have to understand necessarily all that went into that, but now they can take action. And that is a big game changer for us. Mm. Now, Greg, my next couple of questions are for you and they're, it's really a two-part question. It's around benefits and then methods or ways. The first part is really about the benefits that uh, deploying a data science-focused approach can bring to water management operations, kind of picking up on like what John was saying. So can you tell us a little bit about what are some benefits that data science really brings to bear here in water management? Yeah, thanks, Paul. I'll build on what John said there. I think I've been fortunate, Paul, in, in my career, I've I've worked for a water company for a long time. Uh, I've worked for a lot of water executives. Uh, I've I've worked fairly high up in a water company, having to deal with some of the decisions that you make day to day. And I always remember a phrase that my CEO said to me when I said, "Look, how does it feel to be the chief exec of a water utility?" And he said, "I'm." He said, I'm not the chief exec of a water utility. He said, I'm the chief risk manager yeah. of the water utility. He says, my entire job is to manage risk. He mm -hmm. said, every time he comes in in the morning, he's looking at his top 10 risks. And he said, and, and this has stuck me ever since, he said, I have to make decisions with imperfect information every day. And where I've been attracted to data science and where John and I are attracted to bringing this to our clients is the mm -hmm. application of data science minimizes some of that risk, minimizes some of that uncertainty. It mm -hmm. creates an ability to have more informed decisions. And that's what every water exec is looking for, whether mm -hmm. it's the state of the assets, whether it's the quality of the water, whether it's the number of customer contacts, the number of times we're going out to fix something that should have been fixed the first time. Mm -hmm. The fact that we can use that data science approach, we're learning the impact our activity has on the system. And that's allowing us to make more informed decisions. But what I will say is there is such a proliferation of tools and data and science-led approaches right now mm -hmm. that if I was still a water exec, I would struggle to understand how I navigate this world. And I think this is where companies like Jacobs and others come really come to the fore, helping water utilities take advantage of the data science and the data tools to make better informed decisions. Mm -hmm. Because we need to remember when a water utility makes a change to any type of operation, we don't get a possession window. We don't get to stop the traffic and say, by the way, we're not producing water today. You have to do this in a live environment. And I know, John, you and your team have to do manage that risk all the time, that we're adopting a new approach, but we cannot let the operation stop on a day-to-day -day basis. So that's my that's my main focus on data science here, Paul, is we use it to better inform decision makers and water utilities. Mm, that's amazing. And, you know, really to pick up on, on something that you said, and, and we'll kind of unpack it here in the next part of the question, but 
just the the concept of course that the tools are are, are constantly evolving in real time and you know just the difficulty it must be to like for like water executives and people in the water maybe that's not their that's not their primary focus is like staying abreast of like the cutting edge technology and all of the the universe of digital tools and capabilities that are coming at them and so being able to make sense of that and get you know kind of accelerate their learning their learning trajectory for those tools in an environment where like you said Greg you can't just stop everything and like yep. put a pause i got to figure this out i'll come back to you in a couple of days when i when i know how to use this or that you know so it's like you've got to be very agile i think as a water executive to like stay abreast of this and still make sure that the water quality is safe and good and and everything so so what Greg, what are some of the ways that data science is deployed in these digital water programs? If I take my own experience, Paul, previously in, in, uh, when working with Jacobs, you know, we, we've thought about the water cycle. You know, we start with where the water rains, where we collect it, where we treat it, where we convey it to houses, mm -hmm. where we collect the wastewater, where we treat it and where we return it to the environment. So we, we call that the one water cycle, which I think a lot of people will understand. Mm -hmm. But that's not necessarily how a water company sees itself. That's maybe how an engineer sees the water cycle. Where we think about the appliance of digital science is, 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 is myself and my team, we now think across four different parts of a water company. Mm -hmm. I think about customer interactions. I think about how, how are we using data science to enhance the customer experience? How do we improve billing? How do we improve collection? How do we inform them about flood protection? How do we inform them through a customer portal about capital activity that might be going on in their area? So that customer interaction is the first pillar. Mm -hmm. The second pillar is what I call reg regulatory compliance or operational compliance. How do we make sure that we've got drinking water quality that is meeting standards? How do we make sure sewer overflows are not happening? How do we prevent some of those incidents happening and stay within our compliance limits? It's a big part for data science to play there to monitor and control how we operate those assets. Mm -hmm. The third pillar is what I call planning and investment. And this is, this is when we're thinking longer term. How do we use the data science? How do we use the data that we're gathering on day-to-day -day operations to inform the assets, the networks, and the decisions we have to make five years, ten years, fifteen years down the tube? You know, as an economist, I'm attracted to a concept called intergenerational fairness. And that means the amount of assets I'm consuming today, I have to make sure I'm handing over an asset stock that's fit for purpose to the generation, to my kids, to their kids. And mm -hmm. this is where data science plays a big role because you know, we now think across the entire asset life cycle and data science is a huge part to play there to help us understand the asset life cycle. And that takes me to the last point, the physical assets themselves. How mm -hmm. do we know what state they're in? How do we know how they're operating? Are they operating with intolerance? How do those assets work together? Data science is giving us the ability now not just to understand single assets, but to group them across networks, to understand how catchments work, to understand how associated incidents impact other parts of the network. So data science is really lifting back the cover and letting us see under the ground in real time how is the entire network working together. It's no longer just in the brains of our people who, as John said, are aging out, but it's mm -hmm. now giving the rest of us a chance to see it in live real time. And it's, it's, it's been a real powerful move for water utilities to adopt these data science techniques. Mm -hmm. Amazing. And then, John, let me ask you about the, the kinds of data that are getting generated and you know, the insights that we're mining from that. 
you know, and I, I know a little bit like, you know, in terms of like the digital twins and being able to kind of see like the asset life cycle and, you know, how, how close things are to potential failure or needing to be replaced. But can you talk to us a little bit about like what kinds of insights we can actually mine, like from water quality and uh, geography and just, you know, I mean, what, what are some of the kinds of things that data scientists are able to look at in this, this sector? Sure. I could probably cite examples in all four of the pillars that Greg just described, because mm -hmm. there are applications for all of that, obviously. I'll just give a couple of examples around the regulatory compliance, water quality and compliance, for example. We take a tremendous amount of lab testing data just to meet regulatory compliance standards. There's a certain amount of required lab data. So that's a data pool right there. Mm -hmm. uh, that's usually held in some sort of a laboratory information management system database or an Excel spreadsheet even. That might be what we would call small data. It's still very useful. Mm -hmm. uh, that's something I've discovered in the past few years working in this space. You don't have to have terabytes, monstrous databases mm -hmm. of big data to make use of data science. We are really focused on meeting our clients where they're at with the data they've got and then building from there. And we've mm -hmm. done this ourselves. So we'll use an, an example we're working on right now, one of our biggest clients, the lab data we have around mm -hmm. residual chlorine, you know, disinfecting pathogens before it's discharged to the river for public health reasons. There's limits set in the regulatory requirements that are pretty conservative mm -hmm. when the actual regulatory number of interest is pathogen kill. You know, there's some indicator organisms that we want to make sure are killed off. Mm -hmm. uh, we can use data science to say, we'll get the pathogen kill and protect the public environment and meet permit, but we don't have to overdose all this chlorine chemical, which mm -hmm. is harmful to the environment at a certain level mm -hmm. and expensive. So let's use the data science that we already have yeah. Figure out the right dosage to get the right kill without overdosing and harming the environment in a different way mm. and costing us extra money. So it, that's a fairly straightforward example, but it's mm. a really powerful one. We use millions of dollars mm -hmm. of various chlorine disinfectants, and a lot of that is excess. And we can trim that down with data science. Mm -hmm. Now, Greg, you know, John's just talking about like an example of a cost benefit, cost savings, and you know, frankly, an environmental savings as well of like being able to intelligently balance, you know, how much is just the right amount of a disinfectant without going overboard. And what other kinds of cost benefits and savings can be achieved by deploying data science driven operation strategy? Benefits led investment decision making is an area I've worked in for many years. Mm -hmm. What I found, Paul, the key to making the right decision, the key to identifying the cost savings or the benefits is all about establishing your baseline. How are you currently operating? Mm -hmm. If you do nothing, what is the future going to look like? And that, that's my number one tip to anyone thinking about adopting either a new approach or a new technology. Understand the path that you're on. Understand your baseline and be comfortable that that's the path you're on. If you want to deviate, then begin to build the BCR, the benefit cost ratio from where you want to invest. In terms of data science, our, our experience up to this point, we identify benefits across lots of different cost categories, OPEX, CAPEX, corporate overhead, tax, finance, fines, rewards, regulatory compliance. 
but it's also important to think about them across different time frames because you get immediate benefit from in the operational space and you maybe get immediate benefit in your ability to maybe reduce your power consumption or reduce your chemical consumption as, as, uh, as John mentioned. Mm -hmm. But you then have to think medium term. Well, if I've, if I've adopted this new way of, way of working, if the data science is telling me to operate my assets in a different way, we have a model that predicts how the assets are going to perform we have, and that in turn predicts the cost profile but you have to then track it you have to you have to see how it's operating but you then have to take that into your medium to long-term decision making and this is where into your capital planning that third pillar that i mentioned these are the type of longer term cost benefits that you can identify it's a bit harder because obviously if you're waiting five years to see five or ten years for a benefit to manifest then how do you justify that to your decision-making board up front? There's a whole a lot of trust here. But again, mm -hmm. because it's data-led, because it's decision-led and it's informed by the data, you're fairly confident that the model that you have with the right baseline, you should be able to see early indicators that you're on the new path. Mm -hmm. And I know John's team's had tremendous success, which, which we'll talk a little later in the podcast, of being able to demonstrate those early wins, which then become baked-in operational costs that they can have through time. One final point I will make on this, though, is you've got your baseline, you've got your cost and saving categories that you've identified, mm -hmm. but you then have to treat benefits realization like any other project. We manage cost, we manage time, we manage quality. Very often when people make an investment or a change, they don't do benefits realization. You have to commit time and effort to actually monitoring that the benefits manifest. Then you can go back and say, look, I'm on the path. Can I now get the second lot of investment? I would like to move from two plants to 10 plants. So mm -hmm. benefit realization to me is just as important as time, cost, and quality whenever I'm doing a big investment project, especially if it's involving new data gathering technology. Mm. Now, I'm picking up a, you know, a, the other part of that is the environmental concerns and the benefits, you know, the costs and benefits to the environment. So, Greg, does a data science strategy have a demonstrable benefit to sustainability endeavors, right? And we talked about the chlorine, for instance, but what other kinds of, uh, what other kind of benefits does it have for environmental concerns? If I'm being totally honest, Paul, I think data science is, the application of data science and digital technology to the water cycle is perhaps the greatest opportunity we've got to contribute towards net zero. Um, mm. Every industry has its targets. We mm. have our targets. We're all on a journey towards net zero. And I think it's the, the application of data and these, this type of technology is really going to create the step change for us. John and his team have had tremendous success at one of our plants where they've been able to utilize advanced data science to develop a new product that informs their operators on the most efficient way to use power-intensive equipment like blowers. Mm -hmm. um, that approach, they've then expanded to chemicals. And John and I have been speaking that it's not a great leap to expand it beyond to look at more areas like process emissions. And process emissions are perhaps you know one of the dirty secrets of the water industry. You know, it's not just carbon dioxide; it's also nitrous oxide and other other types. You know, the application of data science and what we call these optimizing models helps mm. us to understand when we change the operating parameters of these assets, we can see the impact on these uh, on these deliverables, and that's where we can make a big contribution to the sustainability of the uh, chemical and power use in these assets. But longer term. I think the real big prize is the impact that we have on the environment itself from supplying potable water and treating wastewater. 
the more data science can be used to minimize what I call the built asset stock that we need and to minimize the interaction we have with the natural water cycle. You know, if we can stop leakage, if we can actually do reuse, if we don't have to build a storage tank, if we don't have to extend the network, think of all the concrete saved, think of all the rebar that's saved, think of all the energy and power consumption that's saved. And if we simply minimize the impact on the natural water cycle, that's the greatest contribution to sustainability we can give. And that's what I'm looking for from my data scientists. I'm looking for them to unlock that next level so that when my kids and our kids are actually running the water cycle, they are using less carbon and less concrete now than we are today, despite probably supplying more potable water to a larger population. That's mm. the big prize that data science can deliver for us. Let me, mm. let me jump in and give another real world example. I, I try to explain uh, what Greg just said, and I like to put things in analogies for folks that I talk to a lot. It's very much like what uh, GPS driving aids, you know, Waze and, and stuff has done. Think mm -hmm. about all the miles saved for drivers globally, the yeah. millions, perhaps billions of miles not driven and all the carbon emissions that has saved by having something to calculate your optimum route that everyone's mm -hmm. following. That's the kind of thing we're talking about just in the water space. Wow, and that's essentially a digital model yeah. and a predictive tool that changes people's behavior. This is really what we're talking about. That's amazing. I never, I never thought about that before, but I mean, you're right. You know, if, you know, the optimal driving and you're not driving around trying to, where's that, where's that turn off and every, yeah, no, I mean, that's amazing. Well, let me, let me kind of shift gears a little bit. And John, my next question is for you. You know, a couple of years ago, about three years ago, I was doing research on a, a different project and it was really around uh, cybersecurity. And it was, and I'm trying to remember, but it was, it, there was a big cybersecurity attack in the United States that shut down for a time a very significant portion of the power grid, I think in a number of states. And the attackers came through like it was like, I think perhaps it was a utility. It might've been a construction company, but I think it was like somehow in the utility sector. And uh, that was kind of, that was the entry point for attack and it compromised the power grid there. And so, you know, you look at digital water, you know, again, life essential resource. There's no shortage of bad actors out there, regrettably. And, you know, if, if you're a bad person who wants to attack people, you know, attacking their water supply with some sort of waterborne pathogen or just like tweaking things so that they're not, the water's not being treated quite like it should be or whatever. I mean, you kind of use your imagination. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit, John, about the cybersecurity aspects, you know, like sure. impacting digital transformations and like how do we... Or how do, you know, these digital water experts, how do y'all counter those to make sure that the water stays safe? Yeah, it's a great question and something we've been thinking about for years. So the, the, the cybersecurity landscape, even without doing data science, is, is pretty scary. Uh, it's very sobering. Mm -hmm. um, we started about five years ago with a pretty rigorous cybersecurity program at some of our most critical sites, typically water plants, for obvious reasons. In fact, a quick story on that, uh, we were running at the time a water plant near where a Super Bowl was being held. Mm -hmm. And there's a security protocol nationally for big public events like that. And there's a security perimeter 
physical and cyber that is involved in planning for a big event like that. And we were within that circle. Mm -hmm. So the regulatory agencies, one of the three letter acronym agencies says, what's your cybersecurity posture at this drinking water plant, which will supply this event? Mm. Oh, well, we have some really excellent cyber expertise in Jacobs. So we brought them in and says, hey guys, let's let's take this up a notch. Mm -hmm. And we've partnered with a vendor that's top notch that some of our national security agencies also utilize and implemented that at our water plants. And it's been astounding what it can do. Mm. So that's just a normal course of business for us in a lot of utilities now is stepping mm. up their cybersecurity defensive posture in the face of bad actors internationally or just your backyard hacker or the um, ransomware attackers. Those are the three big attack vectors we see. From a data science perspective, a lot of the source of our real-time monitoring is the industrial control system that we use at a treatment plant. These are pretty sophisticated computer systems. Uh, we usually use the acronym SCADA to describe that. This is all the programmable logic controllers and plant control computers mm -hmm. at a site. We need to extract information from that system remotely to do a lot of what we do. So having these cybersecurity defenses in place ahead of time mm -hmm. is part of our design for what we're doing. Just leaving the front door open and extracting the information you want so you can optimize operations. If that's compromising your security, it's not worth it. Mm -hmm. So you've really got to do both. And that's what we've built in to our systems. Mm. Now, kind of taking that a little further or more holistically, let's say, John, you know, what strategies have been effective in, in supporting this kind of digital transformation culture change mm. you know, within like an, a water organization or somebody who would come to say a Jacobs and say, hey, help me out. I need a solution. You know, I want to do this digital water. I want to do it right. You know, but right. like what what is that? What's that roadmap look like? Yeah, that's a that's a really fascinating question, Paul. So it, it, it's really a, a, a top down and a bottom up problem. Mm -hmm. So top down, there are the the risk managers, as Greg describes them, you know, that want to recognize, you know, is this real? Is this really going to manage risk? Is it worth the cost? There's a there's a shift in thinking that is happening in the industry already in that regard, especially the more proactive organizations that really want to be premier providers of water and wastewater services uh, or any utility service globally. The bottom up is very interesting as well. So you're asking people to trust what their computer is telling them to do. And these are folks that have been running plants for decades in many mm -hmm. cases and doing quite well at it. So why should I listen? So I'll go back to that GPS example. Mm -hmm. You know, who would have thought that everyone would have paid $500 for a computer to tell them how to drive. But that's what a lot of us do now because mm -hmm. there's a benefit. So we call that with them, what's in it for me. Mm -hmm. And if we can reach our operations and maintenance staff and let them know, this is gonna help you. You're overworked, we recognize that. These treatment systems are getting more sophisticated to meet environmental needs. Mm -hmm. We recognize that. Here's a tool to help you do your job. That reaches them. We also give them time. So that's a big factor at the, at the ground level. Mm -hmm. We don't just throw the system at them and say, good luck. <laughs> There's a lot of working them into it, helping them understand 
-hmm. working their way down uh, that one plant that Greg alluded to previously, uh, where we did a blower optimization, mm -hmm. we sent them notifications on their smartphone and tablets in the field. Here's what we want you to change your blower set points at. They didn't embrace that instantly. Mm -hmm. They wanted to get comfortable with it. Yeah. Can we do it part way of what the computer is telling us? Sure. And they worked their way down to the full recommendations. Now they trust it. They're like, this is great. This actually works. Mm. And there's another critical piece I'll mention back to the cyber security thing. Mm -hmm. Right now, any recommendations we make from the data science is air-gapped. Yeah. So we're recommending it directly to the field staff, mm -hmm. not to the plant control system. So if there is a breach in security, it's still up to the operator to say, nope, I don't trust that recommendation. I'm going to ignore it and do what I normally do. Mm -hmm. And that protects everybody. So that's where we're at right now. So it still keeps the human yep. in, in the equation. Automation hasn't completely just upended everybody. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Now, this is just a tool to help them be more efficient and effective. And they've still got veto, if you will. Mm -hmm. right? The computer doesn't know that this basin's offline or a storm event's coming through or whatever it is. Right. You know, we still need to run the plant. That's our responsibility. And we're just here to help them do it. Awesome. And then, Greg, my last question uh, for our discussion today is where do you think the concept of digital water will evolve to in the next couple of years? You've actually you've used one of the words yourself there, Paul. I, I see the evolution of digital water along two axes. On the vertical, I see increased automation. Mm -hmm. And on, on the horizontal, I see increased what I call integration. Starting with automation is exactly the point that John raised. You know, right now, we are comfortable using data science to inform the insights that we need to make better decisions, but we're still leaving those decisions in the hands of the operators. Mm -hmm. Certain areas of the world, they're moving more towards automating some of those decisions where you're taking the operator out of the decision-making process because you have enough trust and you have enough visibility and you have enough history to allow the system to almost self-regulate. The, one of our clients in the UK, Anglian Water, they're trialing a safe smart system approach where ultimately the system will self-regulate and they call it a self-healing system. Um, very ambitious, but that is where digital water is moving towards on the automation space. The integration space is just as interesting for me. And this is where you know, we have a, you, know, you, you might have a data-led solution in your networks. You might have a data-led solution in your treatment plant. You might even have a data-led solution in your water catchment. But beginning to bring those adjacent data sets together, that's really going to unlock the next level of efficiency and the next level of optimization. We started optimizing individual assets, then we started optimizing networks, then we started optimizing systems. Now we're going to optimize systems of systems. This, hmm. is, where, this is where the data science is going to take us. I think that's where digital water is going to get to. And I'll give a big shout out to the UK regulator Offwat, who are, they have an ambition to achieve what they call open data. And what they mean by open data is if they can anonymize it, but make all this trillions of data bytes worth of SCADA available, mm -hmm. think of what a data scientist sitting in the back of his room might be the, the person that finds out the relationship that none of the rest of us saw. So this idea of democratizing access to information, not mm -hmm. just for the operators of the plant, but for those that are in the supply chain, the innovators, the entrepreneurs, I think that'll be the next exciting development. If we can find a safe and cyber secure way to do that, mm -hmm. then open data 
because it'll benefit customers, it'll benefit clients, and it'll ultimately be efficient because it'll allow the innovators to bring their entrepreneurial skills to work in what is effectively quite a difficult industry to penetrate. I think open data will bring that, that next wave of entrepreneurs into the water industry. Well, John and Greg, thank you both so much. This has been really fascinating. I really appreciate it. It's terrific to uh, to hear the work that Jacobs is doing and that y'all are leading on. And if folks want to learn more, please visit jacobs.com. Uh, we do have uh, information about our intelligent O&M product, as well as uh, other efforts that we're doing in the digital water space. So John and Greg, thank you both so much for your time today. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Paul.